Welcome. This is ASI, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity. This is episode 59, and I am Russ Shaw. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now, in this very room, you can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Thanks for downloading the show today, the ASI podcast, downloading it from your computer into your cerebellum, into your brain stem, hardwired right in there, right into your temporal lobe, or your parental lobe, or your frontal lobe, or your optical lobe, I don't know, but uh, thanks for downloading the show today interested in unpacking some more of this for you uh been you know through recovery and through doing recovery as i do um one of the things that that is deep and escapes a lot of people is this uh this concept of alone and i'm going to continue to unpack that if you want to kind of make the show make more sense download the uh the one right before this if you're Listening to this one first, this one will make a little more sense. But um, that is the uh, the thing. Why are we alone? Why do we get stuck in alone? Why does alone seem to be uh, comfortable for us? Going to talk about that today. Got an email from a listener who said that uh, it's interesting how I put it together that being alone is more of a state of mind than uh, being around people. 
you know, I mean, because I was around people. Like, I even enjoy being around people. I like to be the party guy, but at the same time, I can still be alone. I talked about that, you know, me and my wife have different personality types. She's the type that has few friends, but is pretty deep with the friends that she has. I'm the type who, uh, more of a sanguine personality, where I have a lot of friends, but I'm not really deep with any of them. Like, that is my default mode as a sanguine, is to have a lot of people around me, but, but not be deep with, with any of them, really. My wife says not to have a lot of people around her, but to be deep with the the people that she does have around her. Um, either way, I think that the, even that out would be to have some people that are deep. Uh, thinking of, of Jesus, he had, you know, like 100 and, 120, 140 real loyal followers that would follow him into different cities and stuff like that. He drew big crowds, but he would have like 120, 140 that, were, that would follow him. Um, if you narrowed that down even smaller, there was another like 60 or 70 inside of there. And then if you narrowed it down to the 12, he had the 12 apostles, right? People that he was pretty deep with, people that he taught, you know, and even one of them betrayed him. You ever have one of your 12 betray you? You know, that could be a heart wound that you might have to dig out. Maybe one of your three. And Jesus had the three which were um, really close folks that uh, when he was having a hard time. You know, you hear a lot of people say, well, if there's a kind, loving God, then why are things so bad? And why are things so painful? Why are things so screwed up? Well, check this out. Jesus, Jesus in the, in the garden, right? He's, he's, he falls down. I mean, he's, I, don't, I would rather have this, this cup pass from me, Father. I mean, he said that. And he's, he's going through pain. He falls down on the ground in his face in the dirt. And he said, I am, I am, I am distraught and in and, and pain to the, to the point of death. I mean, he was that upset about having to, uh, facing the cross, right? And then he goes back to, he goes up to pray. And he prays for a while. And that's another thing about Jesus. Jesus not being alone. God in in the Trinity, which is spoken about in the Matrix, the Trinity is actually a character in the Matrix, but uh, the Trinity in itself, God is in communion with himself. Like, God's never alone in himself. So Jesus goes to pray to himself, basically to praise to God. If you look at this whole thing in the, the realm of time and continuation, you know, God goes to, to commune, to be in prayer, and he comes back, and he, he needs people. He wants to be around some people, right? And, and the disciples are sleeping, you know? And he wakes up Peter, and he's like, dude, you know, could you be up with me? Could you, could you just be with me, man? Could you be with me? So this thing about pain and this thing about hurt and this thing about heartache, you know, Jesus walked in that, okay? It's not like he's, he's, he doesn't know it, okay? He, he knows it. He's been there. He's hurt, before profoundly hurt these people that he come to save that he came to save the way he's going to have to save them is just is bloody and it's horrible and it's hate and it's all that sin being poured out on him as as the sacrifice as the atoning sacrifice for us 
so this world that God created that got diseased by the fall, you know, Jesus suffered for that. Now, going back to the Matrix, the Matrix takes a look at this story from uh, Neo being the Christ figure and Neo also as being you and me. You know, like God was all, he was, Jesus was fully God and fully man. Like he felt everything, right? He, he got in culture. He was missional. God sent Jesus to, to the earth to, to be, live amongst us, to live in the culture, to, to be with the people. Uh, Jesus' first miracle was turning the water into wine, all right? Jesus kept the party going, basically. There was a party. It was a kind of a tragedy to have them run out of wine at this, this wedding reception, you could call it. These these festivals, these these celebrations would go on for days, and they ran out of wine. And Jesus is like, I'm not really ready to do this yet, you know? What are you talking about? But he does it. He goes ahead and he, and he turns two barrels of water into wine. Jesus was not some prude saying, well, you shouldn't drink anyway, kind of a thing, you know? I mean, Jesus was amongst the people. And through D- Jesus' death on the cross, there has there's a new game plan for, for our enemy that's trying to destroy us. Agent Smith is a great example of that. Agent Smith's job is to keep you alone in this place, on this earth, under the sun, in the matrix and have you die here without any knowledge of, of the spiritual realm that's that's underneath you that's all around you and now you might be asking yourself this sounds like a lot of Christian stuff for us what does this have to do with overcoming addiction well I'm going to get to that because it's really important that we understand where we're at and having this behavior that owns us and we don't own it that's more than likely why you're listening all the different things you've done to try and shove it in from the outside hasn't worked for you. So I'm trying to draw some, I'm trying to draw in out of your heart something that that I can inject into your heart that can get you to live out from there. But you have to walk through that door, as the as the Matrix says, as Morpheus says. I'm going to show you what it means to live out of your heart from the inside out. I want to show you that, but you have to walk through the door. So we start with what is an agent? Looking up uh, MerriamWebster.com here, the, the definition of agent. Something that produces or is capable of producing an effect, an active or efficient cause, a chemical, physical, or biological active principle. A means or instrument by which a guiding intelligence achieves a result. The one who is authorized to act for or in the place of another, a representative, an emissary, or an official an official of a government. Federal agent or crown agent. One engaged in undercover activities such as espionage. A business representative, a computer application designed to automate certain tasks, 
these all encompass this uh this agent that we all face that is in our mind. All right. Now, people want to say that, well, there's no such thing as demons and devils and stuff like that. You know, I'm going to I'm going to take issue with that. All right. There there is spiritual dark stuff out there that's trying to destroy us. That is truth. There's also stuff in your past that you're clinging on to that you don't necessarily understand. Um, Ash, the God and Cigarettes podcast, he's talking about how, you know, he's going to his church, he's getting on some of these online uh, forums, and he's talking about um, what he's going through. He's, he's getting it out of him, and he's talking about some of the, this horrible stuff that he feels. And part of that is is digging it out, man. And that's what I, I encourage listeners to do. The reason why I talked about his podcast on this show is because he is doing that. He is digging out some of the pain in his life. Now, when in something that he said really kind of ticked me off, all right? And it's something that happens in in a lot of evangelical circles. A lot of churches are encouraging him and maybe you to fake it. All right, you just don't have enough faith or you know, you just have to let go and let God. You know, there's that one too. I mean, these things are just, that's a great thing to say, but it, it, there's no compassion in that. You're not really, you know, helping someone through that, helping someone through their pain in their life. Because we have agents that we need to expel, that we need to figure out, that we got, you know, Agent Smiths on our back telling us lies, the red lizard analogy that I talked about, that was episode five, I believe it was. Um, that's a C.S. Lewis deal. But, you know, we, we have stuff that talks to us. We have this self-talk, this internal dialogue, cognitions, it's been called by uh, psychologists, um, the, the, this inner dialogue, this self-talk. And all of it is, is a lot of this is us, and a lot of this is, is other forces and other stuff trying to tell us the value of our soul. Bottom line, down underneath it all, you want to fight this thing on a on a lower spiritual level, other than just trying to fake it or trying to muscle through another day. And I think that's important too. And in the next show, I'm going to talk about strategies for getting you in the ring. I'm going to do a uh, putting your heart on the treadmill, kind of a uh, reloaded. Okay. The next show, I'm going to talk about a lot of this brain function stuff that you can do, action steps that are going to be on a, on a level two basis. But I'm still going to go for level three here because I wanted you to know where Agent Smith is coming from. Because it's like we get with a counselor or we get with somebody and we're like, you know what, just tell me what I need to know. You know, we'll pay a counselor. We hand out the money to the counselor, you know, being like the oracle, right? And we're asking them to push a button in us and fix everything, right? Well, just go ahead and fix it. Just hurry up. I know my rights. I don't want to be this person anymore anymore. I just want to have this done and over with. Please just help me, you know. I've been there. But the facts are we, you know, knowing our rights, there's something beyond that. Knowing that we want to stop. I'm a good person because I want to stop. Well, you have to go a little farther and you have to face Agent Smith. And here he is. I know my rights. I want my phone call. Tell me, Mr. Anderson, what good is a phone call if you're unable to to speak. So, Agent Smith's main strategy, the beginning strategy, is he covers Neo's mouth and he doesn't even have a mouth anymore in this scene. And 
that is the the biggest thing that I want you to get you to get in your cranium. This is the action step I want you to take today, is to start to get this outside of you, to be able to speak to someone that's not just online. I mean, I think that it's great that there's a lot of resources online for this stuff, but I want you to get out of the digital world with this and talk to someone face-to-face. Start to start to develop a relationship with someone that you can do this with, that you can um, start to do to do battle with, you know, that you can start to do battle with the voices that are in your head. And, you know, if they start to tell you stuff like, uh, you know, just like go and let God, stuff like that, you may need to help train them a little bit for this kind of battle because maybe they don't know anybody like you that struggles with the stuff that you struggle with. You know, look at them and say, well, what does that mean? How do I do that? You know, get them, get them to help face their own stuff and if they're if they're looking at you and judging you for for you know the stuff that you're going through then you need to find somebody else all right this is going to be scary i didn't say it's going to be easy but it will it does work i don't know anybody who's healed from this kind of addiction just keeping it all inside themselves without talking about it without talking about some of the stuff that's inside of them you know, because just thinking positive and, you know, well, it's the past and just forget about the past. We don't have to live in the past. You have to face your past. I believe you will have to face some of the history in your past in order to get through this thing. Because you can think positive and all that stuff, and that stuff is great, and I believe in that stuff. And that stuff does work, you know. You get up in the morning and you have a, this negative kind of cloud in your head and you think that way all day like this day is going to suck because everything is going horribly today and just that will drag out and run your whole day right i mean that's truth my my moods my attitude um how I am in the morning. There's a lot of that that has to do with decision. Well, you know what? I'm going to have a good day today. Changing our mind, changing our brain chemistry, starting to talk in positives. Like today's going to be a great day. You know, I'm going to face this stuff today. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to do my job and I'm going to, you know, stuff like that. All that's well and good and changing our attitude. But the problem is for the long term, some of you may have learned emotionally either from your parents or from abuse or something that happened to you. Um, another thing that, that I'm seeing is a lot of people who go through divorce in their teens. Like, if you look back in time, people went, went and got married at like, you know, 13, 14 years old. And some, some women were given to marriage at like, you know, 13, just over 12. Um, now, there's kids in junior high school and high school who are out sleeping around having sex with their boyfriend or girlfriend. There's an emotional thing that happens when we're intimate with someone. And they are going through kind of like an emotional divorce from that person. All right? That person breaks their heart, breaks up with them, sleeps with somebody else, you know. Girl gets involved with some guy who's a player, right? And he breaks her heart. And she goes through what is really real a divorce at that time. You know, I think it's important that we get married. I think it's important we go through the ceremony. I don't believe that we should live together, be married. But the facts are, biblically speaking, and in the realm of God's green earth, when you have sex with someone, you are tied to them emotionally, much like marriage. Consummating the marriage was the physical act of sex. 
And some of you are going to have to mourn out a relationship that may have happened when you were 15 years old. All right, this is why you need a counselor. You need that oracle in your life, that person to talk to, to help you through this, to help you fight. Because I can teach you brain function, and you can go into AA meetings, and they can teach you stuff. And, and but you need to dig out some of this deep stuff that that drives the wise, that drives the wise. Why do you do the things you do? Why do I keep returning to it? We have to find out the wise, the the wise, the value of our soul, and understanding who we are. It goes beyond self-image. Okay, you can have a great self-image and and still destroy yourself, right? The wise—that's what I'm trying to get under—is the wise. Why do we think the way we do? Discerning our motives. All right, not others' motives. A lot of times we want to discern others' motives. We live so far outside of ourselves with the, you know, what that person's doing and what their motives are and what they what what I think that they're doing and why they're doing that. Instead of looking at myself and going, why do I do the things I do? It's so easy. It's habitual to look at someone else and say that's their motives. That's their deal. Media, okay, images. They suggest or affirm our own cognitions, our own self-talk. If we blame media, if we keep blame, I can't get free of this because of those ads that are on the bus or those ads that keep popping up. You know, my MySpace account. Well, get rid of your MySpace account for a while. All right, jump your computer for a while if you have to. If you have to for a season, I'm talking about for a season. If you think you can do this forever, no. I don't think that's healthy. I don't think you should just throw away your computer and just live without, with, without it for the rest of your life. I think that you're putting it, making it an idol in that way. You're scapegoating your computer. You're, you're, instead of putting our sin on Christ, we put it on a thing, media. If I just don't read that book, um, yeah, some of that's true. You need to face this thing and know yourself enough to know what's good for you and what's not good for you. Paul said to the Corinthians, you know, they're saying, well, if we're saved by the blood of Christ, can't we just do whatever we want? And Paul's like, no, you may be free from your sin by the blood of Christ, but that doesn't mean you just get a sin, keep on sinning, because sin has the ability to own you. It will own you. All right. You're not free. That's not freedom to be a narcissist, to be totally selfish. You're alone. The fruit, I believe, of the fruit of sin is death ultimately. But if you go one layer up from that, I think the fruit of narcissism, of total living this selfish me, me, me life, the fruit of that is alone. You're alone, and eventually it eats away at your soul, like letting go a pack of termites on a cedar house. A wood house, whatever. So one of the, the biggest things, I think the step one in 12-step uh, is admitting you have a problem. 
um, going beyond that, going one step below that, just admitting you have a problem. Maybe you're listening to me because you may have a problem. You're not really sure. My thing on addiction is this. It's a bad habit, all right? If you told yourself you want to stop, if you think it's stupid, if it's hurting your spouse, and you keep returning back to it, chances are you're addicted. Okay, if you said, I'm not going to do this anymore, this is stupid, I hate this, and then you go back and you do it again, okay, chances are you're an addict or you have a bad habit. If you look at addiction in Webster's Dictionary, it's basically that. An addiction is a bad habit. So, you know, uh, people can talk and scientists and freaking psychologists can write letters and books and, you know, basically an addict is someone who has a bad habit, okay? So that's step one. You have a problem, right? Facing whether you have a problem or not. Do I have a problem? Can I stop? If no, then why? Going one step below that is looking at yourself and going, how alone am I? How alone am I? Do, do people really know, know me? Does my spouse really know me? Do my kids really know me? Do I really know my kids? How alone am I? So going beyond, do I have a problem, underneath that, I would ask you to ask yourself, am I alone? Do people really know me? Right? Do I have termites eating away at me? Am I a selfish, self-absorbed person who just cares only about me and what I feel? What's pleasurable to me? That's the second layer underneath yeah, I have a problem. And that's where a counselor can help you, a good counselor. And listen, if you've been in counseling for like sexual addiction, for example, for like two years, and you're not getting any help with that, go find another counselor, all right? I don't think it should take you longer than two years, unless you're, you're not real consistent. But if you're seeing a counselor weekly or biweekly, and they're not helping you, find somebody else. But be honest with yourself, and, and be honest with your state of alone, Am I alone? Ask yourself that. Am I faking it for this person? All right? And that's where, you know, just let go and let God and just get over your past. Just get over it. It doesn't work because emotionally you may have been taught in the past that 2 plus 2 is 5 emotionally. You see what I'm saying? If, there, if you're staying alone, if you're choosing to stay alone, that's a choice now. Okay? If you're choosing to stay alone, if nobody really knows you, if you're not digging out this concept of alone, then chances are somewhere in the past, somebody taught you emotionally the wrong stuff. And you need to go back and you need to figure that out. And you need to find out why. And be honest. I mean, honesty is so critically important. I think we sit in front of another person and we have this little dialogue inside of us that says, I want this person to think well of me. I don't want this person to think I'm a jerk or a freak. Um, who cares? All right. Part of humility is just be you. Just be honest, real, open, raw you. Well, it might be a sin if I say this. Yeah, I know. You're a sinner. You know, so am I. You need to face it. Why are you a sinner? What is sin? How are you sinning? And how have you been sinned against? Okay, that's powerful. Matt Chandler is a Bible teacher in Dallas, Texas, doing a uh, sermon series on the book of Luke. And he talked about something that I want to address. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount in, in the Luke Gospel. Uh, Matthew 5 is my probably my favorite book of the Bible. Jesus unpacking the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are also covered here in Luke. 
and I'm going to uh, I'm going to show you what I, what I mean by what I'm talking about and how how Jesus what Jesus meant by this uh, what I call the three layers of identity and finding out who you are. But if you want more information on on this type of stuff on the Book of Luke, um, the Village Church is uh, you can search that on iTunes and download the uh, the series that uh, Pastor Matt is doing on Luke because I think it's important to figure out what is sin, how we've been sinned against, and what you know how I'm sinning and what even that means. What is truth? All right, sin is the disease. I love how all the lepers came up to Jesus and said, "I'm unclean, heal me." All right, unclean. They didn't say, "I have leprosy. Can you can you you know make my hands grow back?" They said, "I'm unclean." And part of this had to do with sin because back in that culture, they believed that the reason they had leprosy was because they were full of sin and it was eating and rotting away at their bones. That was not the case. Okay, they they had leprosy. It's a disease. It wasn't necessarily due to sin. The the I mean, Jesus over and over again in the New Testament was after the Pharisees about how sinful they were while they were doing the law. Their hearts were corroded and corrupt, and you know, but they looked shiny and clean on the outside. So in Matthew six, uh, this is Matthew chapter or no, this is Luke excuse me, chapter 6, verse 20. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. In Matthew 5, he uses poor in spirit. All right, if you're at the end of your rope, if you're like going, ah, I can't do this anymore. This sucks. What am I going to do? Lord Jesus, please help me. All right, Jesus is saying you're blessed in that moment, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Or if you're hungry to stop this, if you're hungry to get out of this addiction, if you're hungry to, to have some self-control in your life over your own sexuality, if you're hungry, you will be satisfied. Someday. Stick with it. Press into God. You will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. All right? Blessed are you who stop faking it, who don't fake it. Who, you know, when you're, when you're hurt, man, you're hurt. Well, you just don't have enough faith. B.S., okay? I just hurt right now. Blessed am I when I weep, for later I will laugh. Matthew 5 is, blessed are you who mourn. Blessed are you who mourn. We need to mourn things out. When we're hurt, we need to just let that hurt pass through us instead of grabbing the nearest anesthetizer, the nearest numbing agent. To, to stop. For some of you, Agent Smith may be a pastor or a priest in the past. Someone who encouraged you to fake it or someone who told you that you need to live up to some moral standard and if you don't, you're a sinner and you're going to hell. You're a disease. That you're dirty. That you should stay alone. For some of you, Agent Smith has morphed into that this is Matthew 23. This is the message version uh, translation. Matthew 23, 1 through 3. Now Jesus turned to address his disciples along with a crowd that had gathered with them. The religion, 
the religion scholars and Pharisees are competent teachers in God's law. You won't go wrong in following their teachings on Moses. But be clear about following them. They talk a good line, but they do not live it. They don't take into their hearts and live out in their behavior. It's all split and polished veneer. 4 through 7. Instead of giving you God's law as food and drink by which you can banquet on God, they package it in bundles of rules, loading you down like a pack of animals. They seem to take pleasure in watching you stagger under these loads, and they won't lift a finger to help. All right? Have you ever got that before? Just just yeah, just get over it, you know? Just stop doing that. You don't have to be masturbating. What, you're attracted to someone of the same sex? You know, maybe you shouldn't uh, be going to youth group then, or maybe you should go away. Um, maybe you should go, you're just, you're sick. You need to stop. You need to repent. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to repent? Help me. Do they help you when you ask for help? What does that mean? Do they, do they, do they lift a finger to help you with your heavy load? He goes on, Their lives are perpetual fashion shows, embroidered prayer shawls one day and flowery prayers the next. They love to sit at the head of the table at church dinners, basking in the most prominent positions, preening in the radiance of public flattery, receiving honorary degrees, and getting called doctor or reverend. 8-10 through 10. Don't let people do that to you put you on a pedestal like that all you ha- <clears throat> you all have a single teacher and you all are classmates don't set people up as experts over your life letting them tell you what to do save that authority for god let him tell you what to do no one else should carry the title of father you have only one father and he is in heaven and don't let people maneuver you into taking charge of them. There is only one life leader for you and them. That is Christ. Um, Martin Luther wrote a book back in the 15th century called The Bondage of the Will. And he wrote that book as a result, uh, kind of a rebuttal to some other self-help book. It's funny how nothing's new. Like back in the 15th century, they still had like self-help gurus and stuff. And the self-help guru wrote a book called uh, The Freedom of the Will. You know, just do whatever you want. You can be free. Well, that works for a little while. But like I said, it's like peeing your pants to keep your backside warm. All right? If you just let your sexuality go free, there's a lot of horrible, you know, repercussions of that. The train of consequences can be a bloody mess that goes on for generations. Just just being free sexually can lead to death. So, check this out. Have you had a pastor or a r- religious leader? Have you heard that Christians um, agree with uh, Agent Smith here? Make you feel things deep in your soul like this. Human beings are a disease, a cancer of this planet. You are a plague, and we are the cure. You are not a cancer, all right? The sin that dwells inside you is the cancer, but you are not the cancer. 
and a lot of religious people who have hurt a lot of you, you know, that's kind of their attitude, that they're the cure. You know, they look at culture, they look at the people in the culture as like firewood, right? They don't love the people in the culture like Jesus tells them to do. What are the two things that the law hangs on? Love God with all your heart and love people. How How is it that, you know, we have Agent Smiths playing on our head, people from religious circles who are pointing the finger saying we're going to hell and we deserve that and, and they're out there to clean the earth of the vermin that is us. Because in their heart, they hate, they hate, man. They hate people with jacked up sexualities. And sadly to say that the church is just as guilty. All the finger pointing at the homosexuals when we have, you know, rampant pornography and adultery in the church. It is more than hypocritical. So I want you to, that's my, my, my action step for you is to get the Agent Smiths out of your head to recognize when you're being talked to, alright? When when that cognitions hits you, when those voices are interjected and thrown into your mind. Ephesians 6 talks about how we do not fight people. We fight Agent Smith. We fight uh, spiritual forces. Um, wanted to read you this from the message version, uh, Ephesians 6, this is 10 through 12, and that, uh, uh, wait a minute, we'll go back up to 9, masters, it's even the same with you, no abuse please, and no threats, and your servants are both under the same master as in heaven, he makes no distinction between you and them. This is 10 through 12. And about and that about wraps it up. God is strong and he wants you to be strong. So take everything the master has set out for you. Well-made weapons of the same of the best materials and put them to use so that you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no afternoon athletic concept that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This keeps this is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and his angels. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get, every weapon God has issued, so that when it's all over, but the shouting, you're still on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. God's word is an indispensable weapon. In the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. That is your action step for this week. Talk to somebody. Pray hard. Pray not just for yourself. Get outside yourself. Pray for your community. Pray for the people in your community. Find some hurting people to pray for. Prayer is important. Pray for yourself and your addiction, but also pray for, for your family. 
your inner circle. Man, I pray every day for my wife and my kids. Every day. Detailed prayers. And for my friends, for my neighbors. Praying gets you gets you wielding a sword. Getting some of these scriptures in your head that you can use to fight back when Agent Smith comes to say, it's inevitable. This is your death. I'm coming for you. You're going to return back to that computer again. You're going to look up that porn site. When Agent Smith starts telling you that, you have some some weapons to fight with. Some cognitions. Watching and monitoring, monitoring that talk in your head. Those are the two steps I want you to do this week. Fight. Fight. Agent Smith. Pray. Ask God to reveal himself to you if you don't know him, if you don't believe in him, if you've been distant, if you've never heard about Christianity. Discover who Jesus is. Thanks for listening. Next week I'm going to talk about more brain function and and stuff that you can do on level 2 in psychology to beat this thing. But you're going to have to take the red pill. Alright? I'm not going to lie to you. This is a spiritual battle. Underneath it all, it's a spiritual battle. And the the brain stuff, that's great and that works for a little while. But underneath it all, if your heart ain't right, it's not going to work long term. It's just not. I want you to get your heart right. So you don't have to relapse over and over again through different stuff all your life. Okay? Until next time, remember, life is... 20% the stuff that's happened to you or is happening to you and 80% how you react to it. That's your life. Love God. Love people. Till next time. Bye. The answer is out there, Nina. It's looking for you and it will find you if you want it to. What you reap is what you sow!